It's great to be here with you this morning to be able to kick off this new year together and to be able to uh, start this new series, was well, sort of a new series. It, it's FaithWorks Volume 2, uh, FaithWorks Volume 1 we kicked off last fall, and so this is our winter series. We're going to be exploring the rest of the book of James. And so if you're new with us, you can pick up some of those, uh, some of that teaching uh, by going to our website, Church, and you can sort of catch up with us. But if, if you're new with us, it's okay. Uh, James writes in such a way that uh, you can pick up wherever uh, we are in the series and be just all right with that. But, but to give a little review of James, uh, James is a book about wisdom. Uh, in fact, uh, some scholars compare the book of James to the Old Testament wisdom literature. And it's really a book that answers the question, how are we to live as followers of Christ? And I love that because no matter where you find yourself this morning on your spiritual journey, uh, that's a good question to answer. How are we to live as followers of Christ? If you're sitting here and you've been a Christian for a long time, maybe it's review, but it's worth reviewing. What do you think? If you're new to Christ, it's worth knowing. If you're seeking Christ, in other words, you're here and you're not even a follower of Jesus yet, you're just sort of checking out the Lord, if you will. Uh, that's a good question to know. If I, if I say yes to Jesus, what exactly am I saying yes to? And James answers that for us. James deals with really the practical application of God's wisdom in our life. We read in James uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. How many of us need wisdom? All of us, right? And God's willing to give to those who ask and who, those who ask and are willing to obey when he gives it. Sometimes I think uh, if we were to be honest, we ask God for wisdom and we want to make sure when he gives it, it's something we really want to do. And James says it doesn't really work that way. When you ask God for wisdom, you need to ask with a heart that says, Lord, wherever you lead, I'm, I'm going to follow. That's what I'm going to do. And so we ought to ask God for wisdom, then we ought to walk in it. Also, we find in the first chapter of James, uh, verses 26 through 27, three marks of genuine Christianity. They're not the only marks of genuine Christianity, but they're three marks of genuine Christianity. And the first is a caring ministry to the needy that he discusses in chapter 2. The second is personal holiness that he speaks of throughout the book. Holiness, of course, meaning growing in Christ, uh, sharing in his love and his character and being on mission with him. And then the third he mentions back in, in that first chapter is controlling one's tongue, the controlled tongue. And that's what he, we're going to look at this morning. That's, that's where he kicks off in chapter 3, and that's where we are in the book of James. And so let, let's dig deep into uh, the first 12 chapters of chapter 3 of James. But first, let's just look at verse 1, because verse 1, when we first look at it, you may ask the question, what does this have to do with controlling the tongue? But I think it'll become really clear, clear <laughs> very quickly. James 3.1. Now, many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That's a sobering verse to read, by the way, while you're teaching. Just so you, just so you know that. James' words are, are, are a few here. Uh, but it's really clear the responsibility of those who teach God's word. And, and James shares really two profoundly connected truths about being a teacher. The first is this, that not many should become teachers. Interesting. Not many should become teachers. In the New Testament, we discover that teaching is one of the leadership gifts given by the Holy Spirit. And, and as a true ministry, we should only engage in a ministry if we're called by God and gifted of God. And so James is, is really clearly talking about that. Now let me, let me give a little caveat here. 
Because it's important we understand that. It doesn't mean that if you don't have the gift of service and someone's moving a table, you don't help them. <laughs> right? Well, that's not my gift. It, it doesn't mean when summer serve, if you've been around here for a while, and when summer serve comes up, that's what our children's ministry does. In the summer, we give our, our regular teachers time off and we all sort of jump in and help. Last year, I helped at least a couple of Sundays myself jumping in when I wasn't teaching. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, teaching children is not my gift. <laughs> Rowling them up, now that is my gift. In fact, I did that two, two times. I served with my wife and she said, you're not helping. <laughs> but we were having fun. That is my gift. That is my gift. But you see what I'm saying? Sometimes you just jump in for a short period of time. But in extended ministry, it should be a place where God has called you and and gifted you, and, and whatever that is, we should do it to the glory of God. But not many should become teachers, James writes. And, and he says why? Because teachers will receive stricter judgment. And, and I mean, when we think about that, that makes sense. Jesus taught this in Luke 12, second part of verse 48. He says, everyone to whom much was given, much will be required. And from him to whom uh, they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Both God and people require more from those who are teaching. When God calls a person to a place of leadership, he requires them to lead in a godly way. And, and when one is given the weighty privilege and responsibility of teaching God's word, it's little wonder then that God would require much from them. But they would be teaching what he wrote. And by the way, we live in a day and age where that isn't always done. <laughs> In fact, since the beginning, that wasn't done. <laughs> there was problems. In fact, when you look at Paul's letters throughout the New Testament, many of them are written because it wasn't being done. People were teaching what people wanted to hear, and sometimes what you need to hear isn't what you want to hear. Amen, ouch. The Word of God is God's truth, and, and really the parable of even the sower is in play here. Roman, I mean, Galatians 6, second part of verse 7, whatever one sows, one will reap. And so... A false or inept teacher is causing problems within the family of God, and it's little wonder then that they're going to be judged more stricter. A teacher who's called of God and gifted of God uh, should properly uh, use the word of God, and, and they'll reap what they sow, and, and that's, that's the reality of it. We're to understand that God will judge those who teach his word, and a stricter judgment will come from even brothers and sisters in Christ for those who teach God's word. It's just the way it's going to be. And so what's that, how's that tie into our... Our, our, our passage here this, this morning of, of controlling the tongue. Well, listen, realizing that teaching is a weighty privilege and responsibility, teachers need to take great and prayerful care in what they say about God's word because they can expect stricter judgment from the family of God and from the Lord himself. Again, a very humbling uh, verse to look at to kick off the new year for me as a teacher. But to realize the responsibility there. People have asked me, Craig, why don't you spend more time preaching on the end times? And the reality of it is because I'm not going to do speculative theology when I'm teaching God's word. That's good. I'll teach it. And let me let you know what the end time teaching really is for us to get from. God's coming back. Amen. If you understand that, you understand why it's there. Have hope. Put away your charts. Live for Jesus. Okay, I'll stop. That wasn't in my notes. That was free. That was free of charge. Uh, you can judge me later. <laughs> so what does James write? James 3, 2 through 12. 
For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they may obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by the very small rudder, uh, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, stating the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Catch verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pine yield fresh water. That is a mouthful. The passage leaves little doubt that that the tongue is difficult to control. And in fact, James instructs us that it's humanly impossible to control the tongue. And yet he shares how we can control the tongue with God's help. James begins by declaring that we all stumble in many ways. Now, by the way, that's not a group we all want to be a part of, but it's a group that does bring a little bit of, of hope that we're all in the same boat together. That we all stumble in many ways. And in a way, not that those who don't stumble are perfect. And, and James alludes to that. If you're perfect here this morning, you don't even need this message. You already got it covered. But James simply puts out, you're not. That's what he's saying. You're not. James proceeds then to communicate the problem of controlling the tongue. So he shares really two assertions that help us understand how to control the tongue. And the first assertion is this. No one can on their own strength control the tongue. No one on their own can control the tongue. In fact, he shares with us three contentions regarding the tongue. And the first is this, that the tongue is a little member but boasts great things. Think about that for a minute. It's a little member but boasts great things. In fact, he uses three illustrations, that of a a bit in a horse's mouth, a rudder on a ship, and, and a small fire. With a bit, one can control a horse. With a rudder, one can control a large ship. And with simply a spark... A, a fire can be ignited through that destroys an entire forest. So it's with the tongue. And it's, it's with the tongue. It's, it's small, but, it, but it's powerful. It's significant. He writes that if one can control it, you can control your whole body. If you have the power, really control your tongue on your own strength. You can control all, every part of you, inside and out. Such so a person, he said, would be perfect. So the second contention is this. The tongue is a fire set on fire by hell. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, have any minor words for that one. James makes three statements about the destructiveness of the tongue then. Look at verse 6 again with me. He says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The first statement there is that the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Now, word unrighteousness is worth looking at. It means moral decadency. 
moral decadency. And so we say that the tongue can, can bring about moral decadency. It can, it, it can really be extremely destructive to our moral being. The second statement, the tongue is set, on, is set among our, our members and it defiles the whole body. Think about that. As a world plagued by iniquity, the tongue cannot be held in isolation. The tongue corrupts their entire body. And of course, go back to the illustration, just, just like a rudder directs a ship, that if our tongue's out of control, it's going to direct us to bad places. Then the third statement says that the tongue not only corrupts the whole body, but also sets fire to the entire course of one's life. In other words, that, that he brings out two really important statements here. He says that, that really the, what we say, our speech, the, the way we use our tongue, that, that it, it doesn't just corrupt what we do, it corrupts who we are. And he says that, that really the source of this is hell. And, and what, is, what is James talking about? Well, throughout the book of James, he, he says that, that really the temptations of the world are the result of the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, you know, our culture, the flesh, our own sort of lacking. And, and, and then, of course, the devil. And, and so he's talking about just how immense this challenge is for us to control the tongue. That, that, it, that really, in and of ourselves, we are not able to, contention number three, really stand against evil. The tongue is a, rest, is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Think about that picture there. I like the way that J.B. Phillips' translation of the New Testament talks about this restless evil. This is how he writes that verse. He says, the tongue is an evil always liable to break out and the poison it spreads is deadly. Think about that for a minute. James wants us to understand how important this is that we control our tongue, that we control our speech. And, and so he really surmises all this by saying the tongue is a little member but boasts great things. The tongue is a fire set on fire by hell. The tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, that's, if that doesn't get you to lean in, to say, what do I do with this thing then? How do I control my speech? I, I really don't know what will. Because James leaves no doubt that no one can control their tongue on their own. The tongue is an enigma. It defies the natural order of God's created people. So look again at verse, verses 10 through 12. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or, or a grape? Produce figs, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Again, he's just saying a spring doesn't flow both fresh and bitter water, and neither does fresh and salt water flow from the same spring. Figs don't produce olives, grapes don't produce figs. I mean, this all should make sense to us, right, church? He says, yet, catch this, out of the same mouth proceeds blessings and cursings. Isn't that true? How many times have we even caught ourselves at church, right? Singing praises to God only to go home and have a fight. I'm not trying to meddle here, but I just did. The conclusion of James is clear. The significance and influence of the tongue is great. Tongue is a little member, has great power, it's destructive. It corrupts the entire life. It's a deadly poison. No one on their own, can control the tongue. In contrast, man can tame everything, he says. 
contain creatures, can contain animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures, and yet they can't control the tongue. So we ought to use our tongue to glorify God and bless others, and yet we find ourselves sometimes using our tongue to do just the opposite. The problem is that the entire tongue, to control it, we need to be perfect, but we're not, so where's the hope? Again, the problem with the tongue is a spiritual problem. Let's not miss this. It's a spiritual problem at its core. So whenever we look at scripture, we need to remember that context is, help me out, church. King. king. Okay, we're getting it. Context is king. king. Context is king. So James already instructed us back in James. We already looked at it this morning. James 1, 16 and 18, but God is the source of all good and is available to help in every situation. And if we need wisdom, all we need to do is ask. So how do we control the tongue? Well, here's the second contention. The assertion that he makes. Remember, the first assertion was no one can, on their own strength, control the tongue. That was the first assertion. The second assertion is this, that to control our tongues, we need to approach our perfect God for help. Only by his power and wisdom can we control the tongue. So we're not perfect. He is. We don't have the strength in our own, but he does. And he gives us the availability to ask and receive. Think about that for a minute. Simply since God is the only one who is perfect, he's the only one who can control any of our tongues. So our deepest need is to have a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ and enter into that relationship, be forgiven of our sins, be controlled by his spirit, and to walk in dependence on him, allowing him to teach us how to control our tongues. How many of you believe that if God can talk the world into existence, he can certainly do that? And how are we to think of this? Well, I came across this, and for those of you who are electricians out there, do not tell me I'm wrong afterwards. Tell me I'm wrong tomorrow. (laughs) But as I was looking at this, I think I'm pretty close. Look at a switchboard. On some switchboards, which give access to the switch breakers to run lights, fans, and the sort, there's often a master switch. In fact, this is especially common where there's building codes and larger buildings where they have to have a master switch. Then each individual switch controls a specific light or section, but the master switch controls everything. You can control the power of everything from that one switch. Now, you don't need any special power to control that switch, and what I mean by that is this, is if you have the power to turn on any of the other switches, you can turn on the master switch. Seems to make sense to me. The simple fact is if you control the master switch, you control everything. When we give ourselves to the Lord, he controls the master switch of our life. He gives us all we need, not only to control our tongues, but also our life. Think about that for a minute. So when we come to the Lord and give him ourselves, he controls the master switch. He is able then to direct us in how to walk in in every area of life, but including the way that we use our speech. And and by the way, my guess is if we were to go around the room, we don't have time to do so, but everyone can share a story of a time where someone's words were words of death and where someone's words were words of life for you, where someone's words were crushing, yet where someone's words were, were uplifting, I think of a a teacher I had in middle school. I I was having great difficulty reading, mainly mainly because I didn't want to. 
My mom said, I don't know what to do. I don't, is he able even to do this? And she said, he has all the capability in the world to read. All he needs to do is find something he wants to read. I believe in him, she told my mom. She told my mom. So my mom got me some things that I enjoyed reading, and I started to read. And it, it, when I graduated from, from high school, I moved to Florida by that time, and, and my grandmother said to this teacher who she knew, can you believe it, Craig graduated from high school. He's heading off even to college. And Mrs. Sweat says, oh, I believed it all along. That's a woman who gave words of life. She could have easily said to my mom, I don't think he can do it. And who knows where I would be, especially if I believe that nonsense. I came across a sort of silly story, but I got a kick out of it, so I thought I would share it with you. You know it's a true story because it starts with a group of frogs were, were hopping contently through the woods. and <laughs> Getting really personal this morning. A group of frogs were hopping contently through the woods, going about their froggy business, when two of them fell into a pit. When these two frogs fell into a pit, the others who were with them began to gather around them and see what was to be done with their desperate companions still sitting there in the pit, not knowing how they would get out. And when they saw that the pit was deep, the rest of them, dismayed, agreed that it was hopeless and said to the two frogs, why don't you just simply save your strength, give up, and you're as good as dead. Unwilling to accept this terrible fate, the two frogs began to jump with all their might. But some of the frogs really shouted out down to them and said, this is hopeless to the other two frogs. You know, you're wasting your energy. Don't do this. Just, just give up. Some of the other frogs looked down on him and actually said, you know, if you had just looked where you were going, if you had followed the ways of us frogs, you wouldn't even be in that pit anyway. Finally, one of the frogs took heed to the calls of his, of his fellows and spent and disheartened, he quietly resolved himself to his fate and died. The other frog, however, jumped with all of his might. Jumped even harder, even though his body was wrecked with pain and he was completely exhausted. He's, he began to hop and hop and hop and his, his companions looking down upon him yelled, just do what the other frog did, accept the fate, give up and die. Give up the pain. In wonder of wonders, the frog hopped out of the pit. Amazed, the frog celebrated his miraculous freedom and gathered around him and asked, why, why did you keep jumping when we told you it was impossible? Reading their lips, the astonished frog shared with them that he was hearing impaired. <laughs> and that when he had looked at the top of the pit, he had saw them frantically yelling at them and he had believed they were cheering him on. <laughs> and so with their encouragement, he was able to jump out of the pit. Silly story, powerful lesson. There is life and death in our words. There is life and death in our words. We can either speak life to someone or we can speak words of death. I mean, think about it. Our words can encourage someone even today. In fact, I would dare say someone somewhere is waiting for those encouraging words from us. Let me say it plainly. By the power of our Lord, 
leaning into his wisdom, we can control our tongue, speaking words of life while we live the life. Amen, church? Not only do we need to speak words of life, we need to hear words of life. And if we can't speak and hear words of life as God's children, literally, God help us. Amen? By the way, the Lord speaks words of life to you this morning. He says, if you've yet to receive his son, Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, enter into the life even now. Choose Jesus. Say yes to him. Thank him for dying for your sins, being resurrected for your salvation. If you're sitting here this morning and perhaps maybe you've believed the lies that people have spoken to you, maybe you've heard words of death over and over and over and over again, so much so that that you're like that first frog that says, well, maybe I should just give up and die. I want to say to you this morning, do not believe the lies of the world. Believe the truth of God, who not only said he loved you, but demonstrated it by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. If you do not know he loves you, look to the cross and you cannot doubt God has a plan for you. And if you find yourself struggling with your words, the God who spoke the world into existence has the power to turn us around, to put us on the right path. Words of life will change a relationship. Words of life will change our direction. Words of life will change the the health of our own soul bad news is none of us are perfect enough to do it on our own. The good news is we're not helpless. There's a perfect God who says, come to me, ask, ask. In fact, I even think maybe in some way he says, I triple dog dare you, (laughs) ask and see what I can do in you. Wherever you find yourself this morning, won't you take that next step with Jesus? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the power of your word. It's your word to us. I've heard it described by some as your your love letter to us. And certainly there are parts of it that definitely express that. But it's so much more. They're words of life. Sometimes we find a part in scripture and it's a challenge and and other times it's a rebuke and other times it's, it's encouragement, but it's always meant Lord God, to drive us closer to you, to make us more dependent on you so that we can be the people you created us to be, to to flourish in this life that you've called us to. And, And Lord, when we look at our tongue, we understand that the words that we speak either have the power to bring life or death. And Lord, I pray that we would use our speech to bring life. And Lord, thank you for the understanding that it's not just about determination. It's not just about just making a resolution and saying this is going to be so because we're just going to work so hard at it. No, no, no. It begins by bowing our knee to you and asking you to give us the strength, asking you to lead us. And even as we follow you imperfectly of understanding that your perfect love, your perfect power is perfecting us. Even as we stumble, it's your hand that holds us tightly. So make us more and more like Jesus, Lord God. And I do pray that if anyone's yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, but even now they would do so. That's the beginning of this journey. And what amazing journey it is.
Lord, I pray that even today that we would hear words of life, even today, Lord God, that we'd speak words of life to a world that desperately needs to hear them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.